Hi everyone! Thanks for tuning in with us at Hearing Her Voice. My name is Scarlett and I'm the founder of Women's March San Diego at UCSD. Today I wanted to talk about higher education and give you some tips with university applications. Why? Because we're trying to break the stigma of las mujeres se quedan en casa, women stay at home. No, sir. If we want to pursue higher education, we will. Period. And also because in high school, although I had a high GPA and graduated with honors, my high school counselor refused to help me with any application and told me not to apply and to instead go to community college. Thankfully, I did not listen to that machista. So I wanted to get the message and the resource out there to give courage powered with knowledge to pursue your dreams of becoming anything you want, whether it is a scientist, businesswoman, or an artist. We had the opportunity to talk with Ms. Camarena, who is the Assistant Director of Admissions, Diversity and Recruitment at UCSD. Her job encompasses outreach, recruitment, and yield of prospective students with specific attention to traditional underrepresented, such as low-income, first-generation, tribal-affiliated, and more. I have brought in Jin Ho as my co-host to talk with me about this topic. Talking to her helped us look back towards our distance traveled from being a first-generation college student or an immigrant, and we look forward to using our background to help make the society more, quote-unquote, human. We had a great time talking with her, and we hope you enjoy it as well. So yeah, just want to thank you for having us. So just to briefly introduce Miss um, Camarena, she's like the Assistant Director of Admissions, Diversity and Recruitment. And then um, her job encompasses outreach, recruitment, yield of prospective students with specific attention to traditionally underrepresented, for example, those who are low income, first gen, tribal affiliated populations in the Southern California Inland Empire. Would you like us to add anything into no, your? No, actually, actually, my my scope ex expands all the way through all of the United States and to other countries. Specifically, URM are considered United States students, but yes. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just saw. I just got a piece of your uh, resume or your affiliation. Looks like um, it's really interesting how you um, first of all came from a community college and then um, transferred over to UCSD and now you're affiliated with UCSD. Um, would you be able to quickly share your journey towards um, the position you're having? Of course, of course. So first of all, I have to say I was born in Tijuana, mm -hmm. Mexico, um, Baja California, and I lived there till the age of five. Um, it was my first language. And then uh, we transitioned into the United States. I grew up in San Isidro, which is the frontera town, the, the border town to um, Tijuana. Mm -hmm. And uh, I attended uh, school there in San Isidro. And then as all students in that time frame, there was no high school in San Isidro. Now there's a San Isidro high school. But at that time, everybody in San Isidro was best in. And in hindsight, I just think it was a really awkward situation to put students in. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, I was best into Mar Vista High School, uh, which is in Imperial Beach, and uh, attended there till I graduated. I was very active as, an under as a um, student in high school. Um, so it wasn't difficult for me to feel as a leader. I had a lot of opportunity to be in leadership roles. Um, but when it came to college, I was not, the, for whatever reason, seen as a student that could apply to UC San Diego and be admitted. Although I was taking chemistry and I was taking pre-calculus and, you know, what I consider challenging courses at that time. Mm -hmm. And I did well on the SAT, which at that time was called the... Um, it was a subject exam it was called something different. Okay. But um, nonetheless, I then uh, applied to UC San Diego the day it was due. My sister said, you have to apply, you'll get in. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at that time, it was old school. We had to take the application to the post office. And oh, I was late. I was late. The post office closed at midnight and I was there at 12.02. And the um, post office or just refused to stamp it for the previous day. Of course, I mean, that's his job, right? Um, so I did not get admitted to UC San Diego applying as a first year student. And uh, I didn't know then what I know now, which is why I love doing my job, because there's so many different things that I would have done differently had I known. Mm 
I didn't know that you could appeal. All I had to do was write a letter of explanation, letting them know that um, I missed the deadline. And if they checked the, the stamp, they would have seen it was 1202 when it was post stamped. And they probably would afford it to UC San Diego. And I probably would have gotten admitted. But that's not the journey that I had, right? That's not, I believe in fate. And I believe that I was meant to go to San Diego City College. I chose to go to San Diego City College because all of my peers were attending Southwestern College, which was the closest college, but I didn't drive. So I could not drive myself to Southwestern and it and it took the same amount of time to go to Southwestern on the bus than it did to jump on the trolley and head to San Diego City. In fact, it was like maybe 10 minutes faster to go to San Diego City. So um, I wanted to stay focused on my academics. I wanted to make sure that I transferred and, and therefore I chose to go to San Diego City College. Um, at that time, we admitted students um, as sophomore transfers, but I was admitted as a, as at that time I was admitted as a sophomore. Now students have to be junior transfers. So they have to stay two years unless they have a lot of AP and pre-college coursework before they graduate high school. And then I transferred to UC San Diego. I graduated with a degree in biochemistry, cell biology, minors in math and Spanish, and I chose to teach for 15 years. After finishing that, yeah, I taught sciences, um, AP bio, math up to algebra two and Spanish AP Spanish lit and AP Spanish language for 15 years and loved it. And I taught English language learners. And uh, when I chose to retire from teaching, I thought I'm going to come back to UC San Diego and open the gateways for more students from similar backgrounds as myself. Oh, wow. That was like a really interesting journey that we hear. Like, it's just like, I don't know, like 1202, like, uh, what, like, I feel there's like an information barrier. Like, you now know that even though like you didn't appeal at that time, you now know you can appeal. Um, Is that information readily available to the public? Like, what do you think will make the public will know better about the things that you know now? Like, what are efforts that UCSD is taking to make sure that, you know, there's something that you guys can do to help bridges gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And and one of the things that I've changed in the six years that I've been back is number one, we do a lot more community-based organization outreach. We do partnerships mm-hmm. with community-based organizations such as Pique, such as uh, Emoja, um, CalSoap, which is actually kind of functions within UC San Diego, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, And just making sure that as they go out and share the information to students, um, prospective students, and sometimes students that aren't even considering UC San Diego because they think it's such a reach, right? Why do they think that? Why do they see us as the school at the top of the hill? That's what we are trying to to dispel, right? And um, so that's definitely one change is we're doing community-based organization partnerships across all of California and other states as well. In addition to that, because my first language was Spanish, and I know that a lot of students um, are in similar situations, if their parents did not go to school, my mother went up to second grade elementary school, she could not read English, let alone, you know, she couldn't read Spanish, let alone English, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we are actually translating a lot of the uh, information so that we're trying to also partner with parents. Because a lot of the times, if we inform the parents and help them see visualize their students as tritons then they can help us on their end and we can be they can be pushing the student towards us and we can be pulling the student and hopefully it'll be you know become a reality for the student one thing i do want to say is that um i think the whole when you said you know you didn't know about the appealing process and whatnot i feel like even if people do know um, cause I didn't know about the appealing process either, but even when, um, at the end, someone did mention it to me, it was already a, a bit too late because of the deadline. But even if I would meet the deadline, I felt like, you know, since I had already gotten, you know, rejected, it just was an affirmation of what previous people had told me, oh, it's too much of a reach for you anyways. Even though I had APs, I had a good GPA score. I was involved in extracurriculars and I still felt like, oh yeah, you know what? They were actually right. It was too much. Mm. Why should I even appeal if it's, you know, going to end up being a rejection? I already got it. Why, why do I want to, you know, get another face? (laughs) I hear you putting, putting salt in a wound is not a good thing. Right. And, and honestly, just to be honest with both of you, and the community that's listening, the appeal process isn't really a, a large 
um, gate to come into UC San Diego, right? So the question isn't, let's inform students about the appeal process. That's not the key. The key is to inform students that if they do not gain access as a first-year student, because the window is very narrow, right? And it's not that we don't want students with good GPAs, because we do. We just can't accept everybody, right? Looking at it now from the admissions perspective. So the question isn't, what do we do now that a student got rejected? Oh, let's send them to the appeal. No, that's not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Is the transfer pathway is such a viable pathway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we need to change. We need to change the perspective of high schools thinking and believing that students can only gain access as a first-year student to UC San Diego. We admit one-third of the entering students as transfers. One-third. The transfer route is such an incredible, viable pathway. And it also, not only is it feasible for admissions purposes, the percentage of students that gain access to admission to UC San Diego as a transfer is much higher than a student applying as a first-year student to gain access to UC San Diego, right? So um, we don't have the statistics out for 2021 yet, but I can go back to to, um, 2020 and tell you that we had about 100,000 students apply to UC San Diego and 30% or so, 32, I think, gain access as, as admission, you know, gain admissions decisions of positive decisions. But as transfer students, we had close to 50% gain or be offered a letter of admission, wow. right? That's a bigger percentage. And, and there are hundreds of community colleges across California that students can attend any one of them and have equal access and ability to gain admission as a student that attends right here at San Diego City College. So I I have a question. So um, why is it that more students are being accepted as transfers is not and not incoming? Is there less people who are applying as a transfer and therefore there's more room to accept them? Or You're amazing. That's it. You got it. We, okay. had, wow. we had less number of applications as students that are transferring than the spaces that we have to offer for mm-hmm. admissions. So the percentage ends up being higher, right? On top of that, we have made a commitment to the governor of California. We've made a commitment to California residents that we would admit a third of a third of students in as transfers and two thirds as first year students. Mm-hmm. So every year we have the ability to admit that percentage of students as, as transfer students. And then it just depends on the numbers that apply, right? You got it right on the, on the notch. <laughs> That's what's so good about public university that they have this uh, carved out section to, you know, allow this diversity because um, it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that they're, disadvantage in like for example their culture there might be lack of resources lack of education that's like i know like we are all trying to bridge that gap that's why we are here but there's still a gap that needs to be addressed and it's just having that quota uh, set out for transfer and then i'm assuming that those transfers will have more of the traditionally um underserved population for example people of culture black or hispanic community i guess are they more represented in that population? You know what? It's really interesting because I'm a data girl. Remember that I have a math minor. So I love data and uh-huh. I like to dive into it. And it, it actually is um, inspiring to me. It's like inspiring that really the, the breakdown of the demographics of first year students and the demographics of transfer students mm-hmm. falls right around the same, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. We don't have more first year students or first generation, let's say. First generation students come into UC San Diego as first year or as transfer. Uh, the, large per- the largest percentage of students every year at UC San Diego are first gen, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're transfer or first year. The, the key that I'm trying to say is that when a student gets that decision of admission, well, come, wonderful. But mm-hmm. what do you do when you don't get that admissions of decision? What do you do when you get denied to the university of your dream? Mm-hmm. Or maybe we're not the first choice, but we want to be your first choice, right? Yeah. And what happens when you get denied? Are we saying no or are we saying maybe later? We just didn't have room for you. We didn't have capacity. But we do have another method for you to come where you're not losing anything. You go to community college, you do. It's actually, you know what? It's really in- incredible because I know quite a bit of students that have gone to community college and only attended a year at community college and still transfer us as juniors. As Scarlett <laughs> was mentioning, um, 
she was really hurt when she got that denial and she mm-hmm. didn't want any salt in that wound. Well, mm-hmm. how do we change that perspective and make it seem like let's not let's not consider that a wound. Let's consider that an opportunity to now consider going to community college, gaining that um, experience there, taking mm-hmm. courses there because Scarlett had so many AP classes, highly probable that she already had a lot of transfer credit that she didn't even consider. And now she's just finishing up getting 60 transferable credits coming to UC San Diego. And it's actually interesting because unlike high schools, community college has two sets of counselors. They have a set of counselors that help students get their associate's degree, which I, if you're there, you may as well pick it up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we have a set of counselors that they counsel students to get their transfer credits to make sure that they meet all the transfer preparation, because that's another thing that they need to know and be aware of is certain majors at UC San Diego require a a number of classes to be completed before they can transfer to UC San Diego. How do I find out about those classes? Well, you have those counselors. And then we have admissions officers at UC San Diego that go directly to transfer students and do a one-on-one appointment, do Zoom webinars, just like we're doing now where they can be in each other's living rooms talking about what the transfer route is right? And making sure that the students have everything that they need to be able to go through that transfer pathway and gain admission. I'm not saying that the transfer route is the way that students should look at it. I'm Mm -hmm. just saying they should see both as an option. It's kind of reassuring. I heard from my transfer buddies that like, like, I think Berkeley, LA and San Diego does not have a guaranteed transfer pathway. Is that correct? That's true. And I'm going to tell you what I'm all about logic. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did is I dove into that. What, where happened to the, to the guaranteed transfer? Well, honestly, if a student meets the requirements for admission to UC San Diego as a transfer, mm-hmm. highly probably they're going to get admitted, right? Mm-hmm. They, there's, if, if the college, if, I mean, if the, the major that they're choosing does not have major prep, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have any classes. Like say they, they choose a history major that doesn't have any major prep that they need to complete at the community college, then all they need is their 60 transferable credits, their seven course pattern and a strong academic performance. Boom. Mm -hmm. Done. Wonderful. If they choose a major like biology or engineering or mathematics, then there are specific classes that we've told them that we've allocated. We dive through, we have an articulation um, officer that all Sam does is go through every community college, comb through the classes that are there and make sure that the students know exactly what classes are going to articulate to the classes at UC San Diego. So it's not hidden. It's completely open and they can know exactly what classes they need in order to meet that major prep, complete it by the spring term before they transfer and they're, they're golden, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't really need a guarantee. The key is getting the information in the student's hands, making sure that they know what to complete and they complete it in a timely manner. Yeah, that's like a cheat sheet for acceptance. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. Uh huh. Uh huh. Wow. Traditionally underserved students, um, maybe shifting back to first gens. So I guess transfers, it's more straightforward. You just need to take a set course, set um, courses. But for freshmen coming incoming, um, I was wondering, like, how does the diversity uh, admissions group like determine this uh, applicant is from a disadvantaged background and then how do you like accommodate their, their situations because they might not have the strongest GPA or MCAT or the strong, strongest extracurriculars how do you guys uh, identify that person's potential I, I love that question I love it I'm going to tell you why because we do admissions in the local context What does that mean? It means that we look at every student individually based on their experiences, based on what they have available to them, the resources that are available to them, the classes that are available. I can't compare a student at a school that offers 10 AP classes every year to a student that has 10 AP classes, period. (laughs) Right? How can I say, oh, wow, you didn't take 10 AP classes? Why not? Uh, Well, that means I would have had to have gotten lucky and got into every AP class in my school. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. As opposed to somebody who gets to choose from 10 every, every semester, they get to say, hmm, which AP class am I going to take today, right? Yeah. It's a big difference. Um, we cannot compare a student that is from a single parent household whose parent hasn't gone to high school, hasn't gone to college. They won't be able to prepare the student and help them and tutor them. They mm-hmm. don't have the money to hire a personal tutor, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
but we can't make assumptions. I can't look at a student and say, oh, look, um, you're from San Isidro. You were bust out. You went to Mar Vista and assume that the student had my experience. I can't expect that. Mm -hmm. I need the student to verbalize it, to vocalize that. And we give them that opportunity in the personal insight questions. Right. So the, the key here, that's why I'm going back to the whole thing of working with community based organizations, working with high schools, getting in front of the students. Now that we have virtual as a platform, mm -hmm. the sky's the limit. I can just give students a bunch of videos that have already been recorded with all the yummy information and they just have to sit there and listen to it. Right. Yeah. And they can know exactly what they need to do and how they need to present themselves on that application so that as an admissions officer, as a reader of an application, we can look at them and find out everything about the student, a mere image of the student, of their experiences, their trajectory on that application. They now have the power to give us a nice view of their entire life. And now we can start assessing it, right? Because a student who had I always like to think of myself and my son. My son is at UC San Diego with getting, completing a math degree. Oh, congrats. Well, thank you. And my husband's a math professor, for goodness sake. I was a, <laughs> I was a science teacher uh -huh. with a math emphasis. Yes. My kids were doing calculus when they were in elementary school <laughs> because it was our language. That was our language. You know uh -huh. what I mean? It wasn't something that was that they had to gain outside of the household. He's at a big advantage compared to where I was. I had a mom who couldn't even read to me, right? Yeah. I was reading Aristotle to him. We were reading books, you know, that, that, are, that are being read in high school. I was reading them when they were in elementary school for bedtime stories. My mom couldn't even read to me dog, a little small book, you know. Uh, I remember I used to like, um, what's it called? The little monkey book. I can't um, Oh, George, 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 George. Yeah. George. I used yeah. to love those. My mom couldn't read those to me. I had to read them to her. Right? It, yeah. It's funny that you say that because I in at home I always have the joke because my mom couldn't read either. So she would just open up any book and then she would just start telling me a story. She'd but make she couldn't it read it. She would just invent it in her head. And each time I was like, oh, it's the same book, but a different story. It must be a very magical book. <laughs> she couldn't read. And yes. I didn't know that till later on. Yes. Um, so I I identify with that too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and so we cannot possibly look at every student the same. There's no way. It's, it's inhumane, right? So we have to look at every student. But the key is here is what did the students share with us? And, and there's also this thing of, of how do you express your disadvantage without making a woe is me story, yes. right? Okay. You want to express your disadvantage, but what did you do to overcome that disadvantage? How did you take the fact that there was no Girl Scout or Boy Scout or Girls Club in your organization, your community, right? But you saw, um, I'm thinking because I'm Hispanic, I think of Madrina, right? Yeah. Uh, godmother, right? Uh, you're, you're like a leader. You're like a, a, an elder to the other young ladies, right? Even though you're only 15, a 15-year-old girl is an elder to a 10-year-old or a 5-year-old. How do you then gather all these little... Um, boys and girls in your community, um, children in your community, and help them. Did you start a tutoring program? Wow, wonderful. You know, um, going back to Liliana, right? Liliana and her father started the music classes. I, that in their was like community. the most important thing. Like, I'm like, like, I think like maybe she shared it to you, but her dad, I think, doesn't play an instrument. I'm like, what? Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean, think about that. Think about the impact that. The lives that Liliana has changed mm -hmm. because of her passion for music and wanting to share that passion with other people. No one wrote a book about it. No one told her, this is how you do it, Liliana. Mm -hmm. She had a desire. She had an internal innate leadership ability, and she utilized that, funneled it, and empowered the community around her. That's the kind of stories that we want to hear. What did you do in your community to make that difference, to make that impact, right? You can't just sit there and go, oh, for me here. Yeah. I'm going to sit in my room and there's nothing for me to do. No, there's always something for you to do. And the question is, what did you do? And sometimes students will have done amazing things and they don't even know that that, that was amazing, mm -hmm. right? And that no one told them, hey, you know what? If you tell that story, 
that story is going to get you into UC, and not, not one story gets us straight into UC. And there, let me correct that, right? It's a holistic review. We look at everything, but mm-hmm. we do want to hear every story if possible, right? Because sometimes students don't realize that their experience is so unique to others. They think, oh, everybody's like this, and they're not, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like the stories that you always have to, the, the power of social media is that, you know, all these, you know, brilliant people who go to WHO, to go to Ghana to do medical volunteering, you see all these people, and then you compare yourself, like, for me, like I was helping my Korean uh, elders to sign up for vaccination appointments. And then like, for me, that doesn't seem like too much. And that's huge. But That's a huge thing. I'm like, literally helping them because they cannot use a computer. But like, it's- you're you're extending their life mm-hmm. expectancy. Think yeah. about that. I want you to think. I mean, I just want you to meditate on that for a moment. You are extending another human being's life expectancy by informing them and coming along and extending your hand. Right? Mm-hmm. People don't think of that. That is huge. And so you need to not compare yourself to what's on the other side of the railroad tracks. What's on the other side of that river? You need to say what's inside my home, what's inside of my community, and what have I done to better it and what have I done to better myself done period that kind of gives me assurance and I hope the I hope the listeners would too that you know UCSD takes things holistically to see Mm -hmm. where you have grown from where you are right now they take that into full account absolutely and I mean we we can't deny the fact that you're an undergrad here we can't deny the fact that it is a difficult campus it is challenging I remember being in and pulling some all-nighters to be able to get all my work done right Mm -hmm. So you still have to be an academic. You still have to be a scholar. But the question is, what have you done outside of that too, right? So, um, you know, I always tell students, where, where do you find that balance, right? And that's why I love to talk to students when they're in junior high. Mm-hmm. I taught junior high for three years because I, I wanted to feel what it is to be, I, you forget, right? I'm an adult. I don't remember what it was to be in junior high. And mm-hmm. then when I taught them, I'm going to tell you, I came home and cried every day, not because they were hard to teach, but because of their stories. So many people didn't like them. They didn't like the little person that was in front of me because they were going through so much change. They were lashing out in ways that they didn't even understand that were negative in the social standard. So all you have to say is, you know what, let's take that energy and let's push it positive. Let me give you ideas of what you can do with all that energy and that thought and how to decipher what's happening in your body and in your mind psychologically, right? I fell in love with that age group and they're loyal. Once they see that you really are investing, they are hundred percent loyal. So I'm like, let's go get these junior high students, get them loyal to UC San Diego. And we don't even have to think about it. Four or five years from now, they're going to be undergraduates. They're going to be trends, right? That's- the key is to give them the pathways, all these different pathways that they can take, give them ideas of what to do and they're going to do it, right? That's why I love partnering with community-based organizations that are already there. They've already established a relationship with the students. They have the ear of the students. They have the ear of the parents, the family. And now it's let's give them ideas of what to do and how to do it right. One thing that I did want to ask is, you know, um, due to COVID, you know, it, it impacted a lot of people. But one thing that I did see, um, especially in my community in in Chula Vista. um, So there, there's a lot of um, kids who actually got, you know, reduced their time in, you know, well, it was all through Zoom, but um, they were now going in at eight and ending at two or going in at nine and ending at two. But then I would see other people here in La Jolla who had their kids and they were actually in person and they were still um, just the class size was much smaller and there were so much resources while I felt like a lot of kids there in Chula Vista were just getting behind. And um, it's something that concerns me because, you know, how will they end up? when they want to apply, they won't have the same extracurriculars. Um, They probably won't have the same reading level or writing level or or math level as the other person. And how, how does UCSD plan on leveling that field when seeing an applicant coming in um, for the year? Remember, Scarlett, what I said, we look at it individually. We look at it by the local context. Don't forget that, Mm -hmm. right? The student has to explain it though. I can't possibly know everything you just told me about Chula Vista. 
I can't possibly know every school across all of California, across the entire United States, across the entire world, because applicants are coming to us from everywhere. I can't know everybody's individual situation. They have to say it. They have to explain it. And then I can get a better idea of that. Right. So they need to explain where their challenges came. Now, I always say you have to think outside of the box, right? You're in a COVID environment. You're stuck in your home. Golly gee, what do you do to get involved? Dude, you have the internet. This podcast that you are doing is phenomenal, right? <laughs> I, I was so excited to be a part of this because you're changing lives, right? So I think to myself, could those students have done something in their arena? What did they do while they were in their living room? And yes, they were not academically in the classroom up to 3.30 or 4. So what were they doing with that extra time, mm-hmm. right? Would yeah. it, okay, so I, I not only taught in high school, I also homeschooled one of my children. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, he ran back to school. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> because in, in four hours in a day, he got done what a student does in two days in school. Right? How does that happen? Yeah. Because there's no distraction. There's no students that have to discipline. Mm-hmm. There's no recess that he has to go to. There's no lunchtime that he has to take. There's no breaks. I had him for four hours straight. I said, let's just get it done. Mm-hmm. Boom. We'd get through it. And he didn't even have homework because he'd get it all done. It was like, it was like a, you know how you do a working meeting where mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're in the meeting, but you're working and getting it done. And that's how I led a lot of my high school classes and my junior high class when I was teaching is I flipped the classroom. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, where teachers flip classrooms yeah. and you do all of the work in class, all the homework's done in class. So you have to go home, do the reading, I'm not going to lecture on the reading. You go do it. But when you come, instead of doing, instead of me lecturing the reading and then you go home and do the homework, we flipped it. They'd go do the reading. They'd come back. They'd ask me any questions in the first 15 minutes of class. And then they do their homework on class for the next 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So as they're doing their homework, they're working together. Right. So the question is, what did those students do during that time? Right. How did they think about that time? They could have, I, I know that no matter how, um, and I can't say that across the board because I know that there's, there's poverty in the United States of America, but I would like to see that a student that's impoverished in the United States is like a middle-class person in a third world country. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying about that is that a student has a cell phone. <laughs> I have, I have yet to see somebody in high school that doesn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Honestly, not one student, every student I've ever met has had a cell phone. Yes. Right. What are you doing with that cell phone? What are you doing that during that extra hour and a half that you have at home? Or are you required to babysit your kids because your parents need to go out and they need to go out and work? And now your parents see you as a new babysitter. What are you doing with your kids that with the students? You know, you, I consider them students, right? Even though they're your siblings, what are you doing with them at home? How are you growing their, their level of growth, right? There's always something you could be doing with your time where it's not idle. Right. And that, that's, that's I, I, the reason that I asked is because I know a lot of um, like my cousin was like, oh, no, I didn't have I didn't do much and, you know, COVID. So I'm just going to end up, you know, waiting. And I was like, no, you should apply, you know. And when I applied, I didn't know that, you know, they just told me, oh, just write your personal statement. And we we're like, OK, well, what do we write? You know, and they were like, oh, just write whatever. I was like, OK, well, <laughs> I guess. So I didn't know that, you know, me explaining everything actually was the best way to to go about writing a personal statement. Um, so I'm glad you said that so that others can listen too. Because yes. sometimes if they hear it from one of us, they're like, oh, things change. It's not like that anymore. Now it's all about your extracurriculars and your GPA and stuff like no, that. No. So I'm glad you we, said that. No, and we've narrowed it because um, like you said, you were just told to write your personal statement. A personal statement is like big. That's not very helpful. What do you mean, right? A personal, a personal statement. What are you talking? I don't even have a personal statement. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So what we, you know, shifting to the eight um, personal insight questions now, mm-hmm. um, I encourage students to, to look at each of the eight and internalize them and mm-hmm. then ask themselves, which one, which of those eight questions are going to best represent me and my experience? Mm-hmm. Pick four that best represent you that you can actually respond to and, and write on those, right? That tell your story. Because really, at the end of the day, we want to hear their story. Yeah. That's what my mentor would always say to me. Like, everybody has an interesting story to tell, but you just have to recognize it and listen to it. And like, 
for those who babysit, they might not recognize that it's the most wonderful thing they can do in their situation. Yes. Because like they see people around, everybody does it. So like yeah. it's a normal thing to them, but like it's a real like, a hard challenge to do school and then do those things at the yes. same time. Yes. That's a distance travel mm-hmm. for them. I'm an early riser. I'm going to tell you why I'm an early riser because mm-hmm. um, my mother would always tell us, you have to leave the house. When you leave, it has to be spot, spick and spam. So we would have to get, we'd work at night and then we'd get up and whatever we messed up in the morning to get ready for school, we had to fix it. Right. So I'd have to get up so extra early so that when I left, everything was done and in order. Right. Um, so the, you know, all of those little things are things that are making you more orderly. Right. And so, so the key, the key here is number one, let's say a student didn't have as much time. Let's say that. And, and again, we also allowed for, unlike any other year, this pandemic has, has caused us to think outside of what the norm is, right? Mm-hmm. And we've allowed students to choose the option of pass-fail mm-hmm. for A3G classes. That's never been the case. Yeah. So you just have to remember that the people that are reading that application are human. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Mm-hmm. We were in their shoes at one time in our life and we were applying to school because we're all, we all have our bachelor's degree, if not master's or doctorates, yes. right? So we've all gone through this. Um, and number three is take time. Don't wait until November to complete that application. We opened the portal in August for a reason. Mm-hmm. We want students to go in there, start filling out the application, start looking and introspectively seeing themselves and asking, what can I do to best represent who I am and how I've grown and what I've mastered and how I've led or the community service I've done, whatever makes them the best them possible, we wanna see that on the application, right? Procrastination on the application is not an option. Yes. <laughs> yes. So for those folks who are applying, August is coming up soon. It's <laughs> June, but you know, it's around the corner. So please do fill out those applications. Start it, the- start it. You cannot submit it until November, but you can definitely start it in August. Right. And yeah. and remember, we want to avail UC San Diego to everyone. It's not we it's not that we're trying to cut people out. Mm-hmm right? We just have so many people wanting in, we cannot fit them all. So what do we do? We try to give them as much information to best represent themselves so that we can say yes, mm-hmm. right? We want to say yes. I, I have a, a quick um, question regarding the SATs. I know that before um, they were talking about um, probably waiving it um, so that underrepresented students um, could be able to apply because a lot of the times um, students had good GPAs, but then on their SATs, they didn't do so well and they were not able to get into college. Um, but I know that Proposition 16 didn't pass. And so um, do you know if that's still um, in the talks or is that just not going to happen. I, I love that. No, definitely. In fact, we are going to be completely test blind for fall of 22, 23, 24. We can't speak further than that, but we can definitely tell students that we, and when I say test blind, I want to explain it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the nine undergraduate UC campuses, right? Because it's one application for all the UCs. And we have what I like to say is our parent. Our parent is UCOP, University of California Office of the President. And our parent gets what you want to say allowance, right? Let's call the applications allowances, right? They get all the allowance at once and they distribute it based on what the student has has marked on their application. So I don't get the application directly at UC San Diego. It goes directly to UCOP. UCOP cleans it up and sends it to me, right? Then I get to see the application and I get to read it, okay? Um, So... Our parent is going to blind, they're going to keep all those, if a student lists any exam scores on their application of SAT or ACT, our parent's going to keep those. I can't even see what the student self-reported. You see, it's really test blind. I can, however, see if the student took AP classes. Mm -hmm. I can see if the student took IB classes. I can see if the student took honors level classes. I can see if the student took me college courses or four-year university courses. Mm-hmm. right? So yeah. if you think about it, that's a lot of academia right there that I can focus on. 
Yep. Right. Apart from that, I can, of course, look at the personal insight questions and I can look at all the extracurricular and community services students done. That's a lot. Yes. I mean, honestly, it's a lot to look at and it takes us a lot of time to view every individual student. There's the 100,000, you said? A uh, hundred thousand first year students. That doesn't even include, I think we had close to 20,000 um, transfer students. My God. Right. <laughs> so that was in 2021. I can, I can't, I mean, for fall of 2020, I cannot tell you what the numbers were for fall of 2021 yet. They're still embargoed. It's still held tight by our parent, but okay. I can definitely tell you and up every year you see San Diego's record breaking. Every year we get more applications. We expected that during this COVID environment, we might fall back for one year in the history of UC San Diego. In the history? No, no, that is not the case. We went up in applications yet again, oh, right? That's good. So, so it's a lot to read, mm -hmm. but we not only is a student reviewed by one person, they're reviewed by a second person. So if you think about it, we didn't read 100,000 applications for first-year students. We read 200,000 because every application is read twice. Yes. Right? They're combed through. But be assured, um, Scarlett, that we're not going to look at that SAT or ACT because we cannot even see it. Right? Yeah. That's great. Okay. And that's at least until 2024. So goes back to how important it is for the student to take advantage of the resources that they have. Right? For that student that you said, um, your cousin. Well, I had an hour and a half and I was not in class and it was just not fair. Did you think of maybe taking a community college course during that hour and a half? Because those were all online. True. Now that community college is online, I think I've been seeing a couple of students where during high school, they're taking college courses. Yes. Yeah. Four-year institutions, yeah. community colleges. And here's, a, here's another secret, right? If your school doesn't offer the course that the community college offers, it's free. What? What? Wow. What? 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 If your high school doesn't offer that course and you apply for that course and you're able to get in, of course, community colleges have priority registration, but you're able to register for that class. It's free. Oh my God. What? Right? I'm putting that on the description of the show. Like, <laughs> that's the most important thing to get away. <laughs> now, now, another thing to think about is for your institutions charge for classes, right? Mm -hmm. But they have, they have waivers. And a lot of the students that you're talking about are, if they're first generation, not all for, and that's, an, that's a, a very bad assumption is that a, a first generation student is impoverished because they're not, right? Not all of them. Some of them live in a very tight household where the income is very low, but some of them live and they're making a good 150, 200, 300,000 because the parents have their own business, right? Yeah. Even though the parents didn't go to college, it doesn't mean that, that they don't know how to make money, mm -hmm. right? So- if you think about it, some, some universities do a scale depending on the student income. So if you're talking about a student that's a first-generation student that's low income, it's highly probable that if they were to go to a four-year institution and say, I want to take a class here that's not offered at my high school because I want to get ahead, do you have any kind of, of method that I can get a scholarship or a waiver or a stipend or something, right? Those are the kind of things that I say students can, can grow outside of themselves and try to think, how can I go and take this class? right? Wow. I, I, you'd be amazed. Like I had, I had my little guy again, going back to the, that advantaged child from a second generation home from parents who were educators. I had Elijah taking classes since he was in, in ninth grade at community college. Wow. Ninth grade. Ninth grade. Why? Because he was already at calculus and his high school wouldn't allow him to take the calculus. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, don't worry about it. Just go to community college, take it there. By the time he started at community college and had graduated high school, there was no calculus for him to take at community college. He had exhausted it through high school, mm -hmm. right? Students can do that. They don't need Roberta there to push them. They don't need me. They just need <laughs> the information. Yes. They need the information. And that's what I want to do. I want to empower them by providing them ideas and avenues to take advantage of that extra hour and a half, going back to that, Scarlett, mm -hmm. that they now have to use that to do something with it. What do I do with it? Instead of sitting in my house saying, woe is me. Yeah. Take advantage of that. Now, do they want to is the question. That's another question, right? That's a question <laughs> for another day. But if they want to grow themselves academically, scholarly, there are opportunities to do that, right? I know, for instance, 
one of the things that I did in my church is I used to translate documents for them all the time. You know how much translators get caught, get paid? They could get paid almost $300 for a document, depending on the size of the document. And I did it for free because that was my heart. That was my passion. Mm -hmm. Imagine if a high school student, because we're talking about Chula Vista, where Uh I know in San Isidro, everybody was bilingual. Everybody Mm -hmm. was bilingual. I had a, I had a Kurdish friend. She was from Kurdistan Mm -hmm. and her dad was from, from Iraq. So she spoke Arabic, Kurdi, Turkish, Spanish, and English because everybody speaks Spanish in San Isidro. Mm -hmm. That was like a natural. She was going to learn Spanish, right? What are they doing with the fact that they're bilingual? That's something they can offer. Maybe they go to the dentist and their parent had a hard time filling out the form. You know, every time you go to a new dentist, what do they ask you? Your history. Oh my gosh. We all hate that. We hate that. I hate filling that out. I don't know about you, but I hate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Let alone it being a a language barrier. Imagine if that student going back to your cousin said to her dentist, Hey, I'll translate that document to you for you in Spanish for free. It may not be perfect, but it'll be strong enough for this parent to be able to fill it out. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be so much easier for a, a monolingual Spanish speaker to go to the dentist for their child and to say, what, you actually have a form that I can read? Mm-hmm. Tagalog, right? Chinese, right? All these different languages that the parents come here and they, that, that's their master language and maybe they haven't mastered English well enough yet. So they're, not only do I hate filling out those forms, I would hate it if it was in another language that I was barely understanding, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's always ways to think outside of the box and ask yourself, what can I do with that hour and a half of my time mm-hmm. to better someone else's life? I mean, like, uh, uh, both Scarlett and I volunteer at the UCSD free clinic. And then we just need a lot of Spanish translators to, you know, um, and like since COVID, they were not able to be on site, but what do they do? They just dial in using their phone. And then like patients would speak, the translator yes. would translate it to the physicians. Mm-hmm. Like those things can also be possible for high school students. Like a hundred percent. You're thinking now like me. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to add Camarena to your back of your name. Jean Ho John Camarena. <laughs> my title is the <laughs> Yes. That, that's, that's the main thing is I, I, I want to get it out there to students that there's so many different ways that they can be a better them. Mm-hmm. If they just think, you know, how can I improve someone else's life? If you, if you, if you look outside of yourself mm-hmm. and become, you, you become unselfish, honestly, when you see the need that's out there. And you become a better person and you have more to, piss, to list on that application. So, Roberta, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who actually is from, you know, Imperial County. And so um, I was telling her that I when I was an undergrad, I had a friend who actually was working in the fields and she um, she decided to drop college because her parents needed her to come back and help work. And so I was telling her that, you know, at that moment, I didn't even think about it, but there was a lot of ways that, you know, she could help um, her family. Like, for example, you know, how Jinho just said, you know, or you where you can translate a document and not necessarily have to leave college. And now that it's everything's all virtual, I think that's going to help a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the fact that when you work a job at UC San Diego, think about that think about that. I just met a student that um, he lives in Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. and works at the Walmart in Pittsburgh. And he was telling me that some of the employees there still make seven under $8 an hour, seven something. What? We're in the United States of America Mm -hmm. and somebody's getting paid less than minimum wage. Right? Yeah. So think about the jobs that UC San Diego offers students. Okay. They're good. They're well paid. Yeah. Right? yeah Let's be exactly. honest. Yeah. So if, if the student is saying that, I don't know what kind of help the parents need, if they need financial help, maybe she could look at it that way and, and give them that perspective. Well, if I stay here and I work here, I could send you all my money mm-hmm. or half of it or some of it. Right. I remember getting my first check at financial aid after they paid my tuition and they paid my housing. <laughs> you, you get a, like a little extra check. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. I was like, I don't have to work for this. I still get teary-eyed when I think about that. 
-hmm. like how I just sat there. I honestly cried. I couldn't believe that not only did this university want me, not only did they accept me, not only are they giving me these classes that they're paying me to take, they're paying for my housing and my food. I'm getting a little check. I got the bug. I said, what else can I do to get more money? Mm -hmm. What? I can walk backwards in this campus and tell people, point at the buildings and you're going to pay me how much an hour? Yeah. Done. Mm -hmm. And I can do it on the weekends? Done. Yeah. And I would help my mom, you know, to buy groceries, to pay bills. She was yeah. a single parent home, you know. Um, maybe that's a way that your friend can help her parents is, you know, financially. I'm not saying let's all work and then send all the money home every time. But <laughs> everybody's in different situations. We don't know, right? I'm just saying we have to think outside of the box and think, how can I do this and still maintain my, my scholar life, right? Yeah. Because in the end of the day, that's going to pay off a lot more than, you know, just running back home. And we never know because sometimes circumstances at home cost for a student to have to take a quarter off, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a quarter or two. And that's okay. That's the thing about that's wonderful is the university is human, right? They're all humans. Mm -hmm. So we understand and we have mechanisms where a student can take a quarter off, go home for a quarter and come right back. Mm -hmm. And it didn't even, it was like a hiccup. It didn't even skip a beat. You still qualify for all your financial aid. You still qualify if you get it, right? Mm -hmm. Your scholarships can be put on hold. You can go home, take care of business and come back to the university. Uh, I just... Yeah, just heartwarming to see like, you know, somebody who has experienced all this to be in a position, you know, to take care of those, you know, um, little Roberta's, I guess, to, you know, succeed <laughs> at an UCSD. Yeah. I think, like, uh, I just want to conclude this podcast with one question. And that kind of sums up why we're here and why you're there and why we are so passionate about this is like, why should we recruit more students from traditionally underrepresented backgrounds? What does the higher education offer? And then like, how does having a diverse student population help not only the university, but also for the students as well? You know what? I'm going to focus on the second part of that sure. because I think everybody knows that the United States of America is a capitalistic society, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? We're run by money. Mm -hmm. So if you get yourself an education, whatever little money you invest on that, it's going to compound and uh, it, it just takes a little bit of research. You make millions more in your lifetime without, if you have a degree than without a degree, mm -hmm. the higher your degree, the more you make in millions in a lifetime. So that is unsaid. It's unspoken. You have to go to college, period. Boom, done. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yes. The question is, what is the university gain? Mm -hmm. That gives me goosebumps. We need the Scarlets, we, we need the Jen Hulse, we need the Robertas, we need them here at UC San Diego to make the university, to make the, the machine stop, halt, and think. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have that in an institution and the people who hold all of that knowledge and power and influence, you know that we, the universities of California, period, had such an impact on this whole COVID vaccine mm -hmm. situation, right? Yep. What if they didn't have the Jen Ho's and the Scarlet's and the Roberta's to make them think of our community? What if we didn't say, wait, stop? What about Chula Vista? What about San Isidro? What about Imperial Valley? What about Central Valley? What about East San Diego? What about, you know, South LA? If we don't make them stop, they're not going to stop for us, mm -hmm. Right. So we need to be here not only educating ourselves because we're going to bring back that education to our community, right? Mm -hmm. But more than that, we're going to cause those leaders, those high-thinking minds to think about us. What about us, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that as the university, as the government starts making plans for the United States of America, it is the United States of America. It's not just Torrey Pines. It's not just La Jolla, mm -hmm. right? It's the entire America. And so how do we make change in our own communities and bring our culture ourselves into the institution? Because they need us mm -hmm. just yeah. as much as we need them. Don't forget that. Yeah. Right. They need that extra color and flavor and culture. <laughs> the right? extra spice. Yeah. The extra spice <laughs> in life. Yes, absolutely. So remember that it's it's not only a value in academia, but it's also a value through culture and community. Right. And awareness. 
we spoke with Dr. Natalie Rodriguez from the free clinic. She's the assistant medical director. And then she said the exact thing. Like we were asking her, like, which words would you uh, use to encourage these people who might be, you know, having an imposter syndrome or thinking that they're not, you know, fulfilling their best potentials. And she just said, I just want to say to them, we need you. Like yes. we need those people. Yeah. Like yes. we need, like, you know, as we don't a- just want you. We need you. Yeah. Period. That's okay. It's a necessity. It's not even an option. So pick up the mantle and join us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do on my end with whatever power, little power I have on my end to help bring more. Right. One last question, Roberta. So a lot of students sometimes, you know, are having a hard time in undergrad for Dr. Um, Rodriguez. It was physics that she called her mom. She was like, you know what? I can't do this, mom. I'm going back home. What is um, what is one thing that you would say to those students to like keep going through? Um, what is your advice or saying or phrase that you would tell them? You know, the times that I grew the most in endurance and tenacity mm-hmm. is when I said I can't and I still pl- plowed through and did it. Mm-hmm. It's when you feel like you can't. If you do, you're going to come out on the other side a better you. Yeah. Right? I grew, if I go back, I grew most like in mobile and bacteriology and variology. Those were the, the, the classes in the biology sector that were the most difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, I am the smartest biochemist I can be because of those classes. If I think of my life, if those classes didn't exist, would I be as intelligent and and worthy of my biochemistry degree? No. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you look at that, the institution has thoughtfully laid out a path for students. Mm -hmm. And I I love that question when I would be teaching math and the students would say, well, why do I, why am I going to need this in the future? (laughs) You know? And I like to tell them that your, your mind is a matrix. It's not just linear. Your mind is a matrix. And the more depth and volume you give that matrix, the more you're going to be able to one day when, when you come up to a dilemma and no one has seen it in the past, your matrix is going to be able to decipher through that. Right. Because the world, it's not a cookie cutter world. We're not giving you a degree and you're going to go in. That's the one of the things I've heard, too, is you get a degree and you can't apply it. Right. Yes, you can. It's it's not the, the knowledge that you're going to remember. You're not going to remember every vocabulary word. It's your matrix, your brain, your thought pattern is going to be so much more intense that no matter what comes your way, you're going to be able to tackle it. Yeah. Right. So ta- push through it when you think you can't push through it. When imposter syndrome comes in, say, you know what? See it for what it is. Yeah. So you know what? No one's been through this. I'm a pioneer. I'm a pioneer. There is no model. There's no form that has existed in the past or that can give me direction for where I'm headed because I'm a pioneer. I'm going through terrain. I'm making paths. I am carving paths for the people to come behind me. Yeah. So no, I don't belong here because there's, no one belongs here. This is new terrain, right? <laughs> yes. But I'm going to make it through and I'm going to make that path so that everyone behind me can now feel like they belong. I love that. Yes. Love that. Pave, pave it through. Yes. Pave it through. You're a pioneer. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it, it's right, a good thank thing you have, like, you know, for imposter syndrome, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I have it because I'm not supposed to hear. But guess what? I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. You know what? This is me. This is who I am. So accept it. Right, so what? <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. And because I'm here, because I'm here, I'm called to be here. Fate has brought me here. I'm meant to be here. That's why. So pay through. Right? Yes. Forget mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. Let's, let's, let's tackle that one down right quick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pep talk gave me some goosebumps but yeah I mean like uh thank you for you know taking your time today like it was a great discussing with you all these you know from ranging from admissions like the first year transfers all the you know secret sauce behind the admission yes. how it's it was interesting for me to know like how it's logical but it's also you need to tell your story as an yes. applicant because like UCSD is trying the best to you know identify the story but if the students don't tell them, bingo. Yeah, nobody to know. Mm-hmm. Bingo. 
Bingo. Oh, yeah, it's logical, but it's also hum- it's also a human reading it. You have to remember that. Not only one human, two humans. Okay. Yeah. We don't put your, your application through a machine. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We dive into it. All right, friends. You have a good evening. And um, I just, I'm so grateful to be here. I, I appreciate your um, purpose and your mission and your vision. And I know that many are going to, you're, you're changing lives today. And I, and I commend you for that. You're changing lives every day that you choose to do this podcast and someone hears it. I know it's changing their trajectory for the good. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. Before we end, shout out to Liana Morales. She has been instrumental in laying the bridge between us. Between us. So shout out. Thank you, Lily. Thank you, Liliana. Love you. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Hearing Her Voice is brought to you by Women's March San Diego at UCSD. The podcast is written and produced by Scarlett Lopez and Jin Ho Jung. Our design director is Melissa Wang. Our creative director is Surin Sunsa. And our technical director is Catherine Cordova. To learn more about Women's March San Diego at UCSD, please visit our website on Linktree. Subscribe to Hearing Her Voice on Anchor app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you.